So I totally jinxed myself because last week I was talking about how there's so many of us who are sick, and, but I've been fine. And um, then yesterday I woke up and I was like, I'm not fine. So, um, yeah, I feel with you, I guess. Um, and it's, I'm such a baby when I get sick. Like, I turn into such a little mama's boy and, like, it is very strange for me. I revert hard. And, like, I expect Michaela to, like, be my mom. <laughs> like, I just want to just wanna lay in my bed and have her bring me crackers and soda. And um, it doesn't happen because I'm a grown man and she has better things to do. But um, I mean that in a good way. Like, we have a kid. Like, she doesn't need to be waiting on me hand and foot. Anyway, um, we're spending this epiphany in a series responding to the questions that uh, you all have about life and faith and God, church, the Bible, anything and everything that you've ever wanted to ask. Uh, if you missed last week, I highly recommend going back to listen to that talk so that you understand sort of the posture of this series. Um, you can continue submitting questions at tnl.org slash questions. Um, please continue to do that. TNL is severely underrepresented among the parishes in question submissions, which is totally fine. Like, I, I will respond to other parishes' questions if I have to, but I would much rather respond to yours. Uh, don't tell them I said that, but I'm kind of partial to you guys. Um, I'm also intentionally saying respond to questions instead of answer um, because the, the type of questions that we're talking about are big questions. They're questions that entire books have been written in attempts to answer they're questions that in some way, in some instances, are completely unanswerable. And so we're probably not going to come to a definite conclusion about any of these definitively, especially not in the context of a Tuesday where we have like 20 minutes together. Um, even if we spent the entire hour together on the, one of these questions, we wouldn't plumb to the depth of what these questions have in store. So the hope is to respond to these questions in a way that gets the ball rolling, that pushes you to further explore each, to research on your own, to talk to your friends, to talk to your home group. I would love to have a conversation with you about any of these questions that we're talking about to go deeper or a question that you have that maybe we aren't able to get to this year. Um, let me also say that we're covering topics that people uh, hold beliefs that span a broad spectrum. And chances are we're all not going to land at the same place on that spectrum. We're going to disagree. And that's okay. My aim is to encourage you and challenge you and push you and teach you and inspire you, but there's a really good chance that at some point in this series, I will anger or frustrate or disappoint or confuse, or maybe all of those things, maybe all of you, and maybe I already have. Uh, I'm okay with that, and I want you to be okay with that. The call of the church is not to uniformity. We don't all have to agree on everything. We're called to unity in spite of our disagreements. So if and when you get angry or confused or, or upset about something, please don't withdraw. Please don't distance yourself. Move in closer. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk so that we can get a better understanding of each other. I love this stuff. I love learning. I love questioning. It's scary and it's risky, but it's exciting. And TNL is absolutely a safe place for you to ask questions for, and for us to wrestle with them together. So as I said at the beginning, the question that we're going to talk about tonight is what is the Bible and what do we do with it? What is this thing, this huge book that has been at the center of so much division and debate that people have lost their lives over, that people have gone to war over, people have shed tears over? What is this book that's been at the heart of changing the world over and over and over again through its radically progressive ideas about God and life and dignity and love? What is this book that we call sacred? 
this beautiful, subversive, seemingly living collection of ancient thought that humanity just can't seem to leave behind. The Bible's powerful. It contains uh, ideas that have deeply shaped humanity and continue to challenge and pull us towards more and more evolved um, and radical ways to live grounded in love. But it's also been used as a weapon. It's also been used to push some down and prop others up. It's been used to confuse people. It's been abused. Uh, It's been misunderstood. It's been worshipped in the place of God. It's been treated like a savior. And at the same time, it's been scoffed at as as fairy tales and foolishness. Um, I have my own really polarized experience with the Bible. It continues to be the source of of struggle, of frustration, but also of joy and, and life. It's mysterious, it's difficult, it's beautiful, it's horrifying, it's divine, it's human, and it's still the best-selling book of all time, which is kind of weird. And it's probably also the most unread best-selling book of all time. Because it's weird. Like, let's be honest about it, it's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. So what on earth is it? What on earth are we supposed to do with it? How do we approach it? To answer these questions, we're going to talk through four different areas. We're going to talk about the structure of the Bible. What does it consist of? Uh, We're going to talk about what the Bible is not. We're going to talk about what the Bible is, and then we're going to talk about what to do with it. Um, So we're going to talk first about the structure. What is some, some data or specs about the Bible? When you ask someone about one of their friends, they can tell you two different kinds of information. They can tell you data, so like when that person was born, their height, the hair color, their eye color, or they can tell you what that person's like, their personality, uh, what do they think is funny, what, do they, what are their hobbies. We're going to start with data about the Bible. So as you're probably aware, the Bible is not one book, but 66 different books broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of these were written over the course of 16 centuries by at least 44 different authors, and it contains about every genre of writing that there is possible. There's narratives, there's historical records, there's poems, there's songs, there's proverbs, there's apocalyptic literature, there's prophetic declarations, there's gospels, and there's letters. Uh, Much of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, was not initially written down in the moment, but started in oral tradition. So... um, It was told over and over again, handed down through generation after generation until it was eventually written down. So every part of Scripture has been compiled and organized and written and edited by a human being at some point. Uh, The Old Testament, which is the larger of the two by far, and is also the Jewish Scriptures, is comprised of 39 books in four sections. The law, the history, uh, the wisdom literature, and then the prophets. Um, Together, these books tell the story of the people of Israel, this tribe, um, this tribe of people God calls to be different from everyone else. This is what we talked about last week. Uh, God calls them to be a group of people that exist to bless the rest of the world and not exist to advance themselves. In the Old Testament, we're told the origin story of this tribe of people, starting with the creation of the world, um, then to Israel's early formation through a single family and God calling a guy named Abraham to follow him. Um, to eventually becoming a nation of people, being conquered, being exiled, and then returning to rebuild. And throughout, they continue to struggle to live up to God's call to be different kind of people, to be a source of blessing in the world. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is comprised of 27 books, and it picks up about 430 years after the Old Testament, beginning with the life of Jesus. We have four different gospel accounts of Jesus' Jesus's life, 
We have one narrative account of the lives of Jesus' first followers informing the early church called Acts. And then we have 22 letters written by Jesus' disciples or other church leaders to churches and groups of people or individuals, all wrestling with the implications of what it means to be the people of God and the bringers of blessing in light of who Christ was and what he did. So that's it. That's the makeup of the Bible. That's the Bible's height and hair color. Now let's talk about what the Bible's personality is. Uh, To do that, we're going to start with what the Bible is not. And I had many examples of this and had to cut many out because uh, this was a very long talk when I first put it all down. And even after I edited it, it's still going to be the longest talk that I've given so far this year, Um, which means it's longer than last week. But... um, So I wanted to talk about the Bible is not magic, the Bible is not God, but the thing that I really want to focus on tonight is this. How many of you heard that the Bible is God's love letter to you? Don't be scared. I'm not asking you to come up here and sing. Just raise your hand. There you go. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Um, (laughs) The Bible is not God's love letter written to you. I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you that. I'm not trying to make fun of or knock that idea. It's actually a really beautiful idea. And trying to describe the Bible in one sentence is really, really hard. So I empathize with the person that came up with that. Uh, But it's fundamentally flawed in its thinking. Uh, The Bible is not God's love letter written to you. Each book of the Bible was written to a specific people for a specific purpose, at a specific place, in a specific time. Every writer had a very intentional reason for writing to a very particular audience. And unless you're really old and know something that I don't, in which case I would love to talk to you, no book of the Bible was directly or primarily written to you or I. Therefore, we have to read it in its original context to truly understand it. We can't read the Bible responsibly by removing it from its original context and hope that we're getting it right when we just drop it into our time and place. We have to try to understand the original purpose and why it was written, the circumstances going on at the time, the culture that it was written to, and the culture that it was written in. Only then can we understand what Scripture is saying. And only then can we begin to extrapolate what that might mean for us today. That's not easy. It takes a lot of work. um, But that's how communication works. That's how we should expect human communication to be. Our communication is always rooted in our context. Language is always immersed in culture. It's foolish for us to rip things out of context and think that we're actually understanding them. For instance, take a look at this ridiculous picture that my friend made of me in 2015. The picture is fine. It looks like I'm running for office or something. But my friend then put this random quote that I said one time over it. He was doing this really weird thing where he's taking pictures of all his friends and then just putting a random tweet that they put up on top of it, which was really funny. But So he did this in 2015, and... This is something that I tweeted out, apparently, in like 2011 or 2012. And when I saw this picture just a few years later, I had no idea what I was talking about. My trust, my trust rests not in men nor ideas, probably not even Big Bird. I'm sure I was very proud of that. Um, but I had no idea what I was talking about. It turns out, leading up to the 2012 election and the debates between Obama and Romney, funding for PBS kept coming up. And, and both of them were uh, referring to Big Bird a lot. And I think Big Bird even made an appearance in an ad for Obama. And I was trying to poke fun at that, that these two guys, one of them's going to be like the most powerful person on the planet, and they both keep invoking a Muppet. Um, 
And I was trying to say that ultimately my hope doesn't rest in either of these men because I'm working on this personally, but when big, difficult decisions come up, I get really smug and just pretend like I'm above it. So that's what I was doing here. And uh, though this certainly is not true of everything I post online or maybe the majority of things I post online, at the time, people understood what I was talking about because it was all in context. But my words were so contextualized that I myself had no idea what I was talking about just a few years later. Imagine someone very unfortunate thousands of years from now having to read this. It'd be complete nonsense. Everything that I was trying to say and convey is missed when it's taken out of context. You can take that down. (laughs) That's a simple example. But that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. You can't separate a person from their context and hope to fully understand much of anything that they say. Especially when you're talking about something written in a different culture, in a different language, in a different part of the world, thousands of years ago, like the Bible is. So the Bible is not written to you or I. If that's what the Bible isn't, then what is the Bible? Um, I have a, a number of thoughts on this, but please remember... The idea of what the Bible is, the, uh, the various ideas are a huge spectrum of understanding and belief. And I'm not saying what I think is the only valid way of approaching it. And the summary of what I'm about to tell you that I think is not comprehensive. This isn't everything I think about the Bible, but it's a good place to start. Okay? Good. The Bible is the record of thousands of years of humans wrestling with what it means to be human in the light of who we've been created and who we are loved by. The Bible captures snapshots of humanity developing an understanding of God through history, wrestling with purpose and beauty and shame and freedom and doubt and loss and love. All the same things that we still wrestle with today. The Bible is the record of God breaking into the status quo of the day and pushing his followers towards radically progressive ways of living in regards to uh, important issues like ethics and morality and economic practices, and environmental practices, and sustainability, and sex, and love, and human dignity, and equality, all topics that still dominate our hearts and our minds today. The Bible is written by real people in real places during real times. This powerful and beautiful and subversive book constantly pushes audiences towards completely new and profound truths and ideas that we take for granted today, but revolutionized humanity and their origins. Ideas like God being personal, and God being close, not distant, and God being good. Ideas like what you do matters, and that you can be part of bringing healing and renewal to the world. That you can change. Ideas like uh, the things don't always have to be the way that they are. Our lives don't have to stay the way that they currently are. Just because something has always been this way doesn't mean it has to continue to be. That the past doesn't own you. Ideas like where you're from or your nationality or your family aren't the most important things about you. Ideas like your gender doesn't determine your value or your abilities, that women aren't inferior to men and that men aren't superior. Ideas that humans should be free, that humans aren't meant to be owned or exploited, Uh, that violence doesn't solve anything and actually just perpetuates more cycles of violence. Ideas like uh, forgiveness is real and powerful and so much better than revenge. And that grace is the purest form of love. These are all ideas that we find in the Bible. And these actually are all ideas that we find in the Old Testament. They're all ideas that we often take for granted today, but they were completely revolutionary at their inception. 
The Bible has been such a powerful and subversive force in progressing and shaping humanity that today we, we look back and we read parts of the Old Testament and it all seems completely barbaric and backwards and awful. But in reality, the truths that are captured in the Bible have pushed humanity away from that barbarism and away from that violence and helped us grow. How many of you have yourself or know of someone who completely discounts the Bible or at least the Old Testament because of all the violence and the seemingly God-ordained genocide? Me too. I have done that personally. But the very reason that something like the slaughter of of an entire people being attributed to God, the reason why that doesn't sit right with us is because of how this book has shaped humanity's understanding of who God is and what he's like. The way that it's shaped our sense of understanding of the value of human life and the abhorrent nature of violence. Ancient cultures understood their gods to be distant and angry and violent beings. Gods that you had to appease with sacrifices. Gods that would fly off the handle and do destructive things just because they wanted to. Gods that would make people do bad things for their own entertainment. Gods that wanted to prove their power by having you slaughter other people groups in their name. Gods that were really scary. The early people of God were not immune to these views. They were immersed in cultures that were entrenched in these views of what the divine was. It would have been what they believed. And we can see that understanding of God in their their earliest interactions with him. And in the middle of that kind of culture we see small shifts away from that kind of thinking. We see God continually chipping away at the notion that he is angry and that he is vindictive and, or bloodthirsty, slowly helping us understand that who he is, who God is, is love. This book records the slow progress of God moving us away from violence towards love. And as we're all aware, it's been thousands of years and the progress is still slow. We still have a lot to learn a lot of growing to do, and a lot of violence to leave behind as a species. The Bible traces the story of the people of God that he has chosen to be different, to be a blessing to the world, to reduce suffering and increase joy in his name, and to point the world back to him by living to bless others and not ourselves. It's a story that starts millions of years ago and continues today with you and I and all who follow this God, who tells us over and over and over again, that the ground of all being and the essence of why we're here and what we're meant for is love. That is what the Bible is. So, to wrap up, what do we do with that? In 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, um, you maybe have heard this before, that all scripture is inspired by God, is literally God-breathed, and useful in maturing servants to do good in the world. All of scripture is useful to help us live as a blessing to others, to help us reduce suffering and increase joy, just like the people of God have always intended to be. The Bible can aim our hearts towards being a blessing in the world and taking actions to that end. The Bible teaches us how to be human again in the midst of the dehumanizing and chaotic and barbaric um, world, bringing heaven to earth, radically shaping a better future. So what do we do with this? This, this, this ancient library, this catalyst for growth, this record of the mingling of the human and the divine, we consume it, we eat it up, we wrestle with it, we struggle with it. It is not our God, but it has much to say about who he is and who we are and what we're like. So a few concrete ideas for you if you want to start or maybe 
reapproach reading the Bible. These stories and these poems and these letters and these books were written as complete thoughts, not fragments of thought to be read completely out of context like we talked about. Our Bibles today are um, really hard to read in a coherent way because they're broken up by all these verse numbers and chapter numbers uh, that, at least to me, make it really hard to read coherently. Maybe it's just my ADHD, but like, it feels like I'm reading a completely different kind of language when I read the Bible. And I think some of that is all the other stuff that's going on in it. So get a version of the Bible that at the very least takes out those verse numbers so you can read it as a a whole coherent piece of literature like it was meant to be read. Uh, We have copies of parts of the Bible that take out the chapter and verse numbers that I can direct you to if you're interested. It really helps me in reading the whole thing like a coherent thought. Second, find a translation that's readable for you. Uh, Because we're translating from other languages ancient dead languages into English, the sentence structure and syntax can be really cumbersome and confusing. I'm sure that you've seen this. Find a version that reads in a way that's easy for you to understand. The NIV is pretty good most of the time. Um, If you've never read the message version, I highly recommend that. Uh, Just a couple months ago, I found out about this other version that's apparently been around the entire time I've been alive called the, the ERV. Any guesses what that stands for? Easy to read version. Who knew? I didn't until a few months ago. Uh, It can help you read the Bible, especially the stories, as actual stories in an actual book like maybe you haven't before. So get a Bible that's readable without all the distractions and a translation that's easy for you to understand and comprehend. And then read it. Daily, weekly, whatever, just read it. And when you're reading it, here's a list of questions for you to think through when you're reading. Um, I'm going to read them real quick, but I made all these tiny little cards that you're going to tell that I cut them out because they're not pretty at all, but they're at the back desk right there or the front desk. Um, Just grab one and throw it in your Bible and think about it when you read. Here are the questions. Why did someone think this was important to write down? Why does this matter? What was happening in their world at the time? This will often take outside research, but this is part of the work. What does all of this tell me about how people understood themselves and God at this time? What can I extrapolate from that to my life today? What does this have to say about who I am and or who God is? And then finally, so what? What am I going to do with what I've learned? All of this is at best just a mildly entertaining mental exercise if you don't do something with it. That'll help get you started. There are endless resources for reading the Bible, so many so that I'm I'm sure it's completely overwhelming. So just start here. Find a Bible that lets you read things in coherent form and find a Bible that's easy for you to read. And then read it and ask these questions. You'll, You'll end up with way more questions than answers, but questions are how we learn. Dig into them, pursue them, talk about them. God is waiting to meet you there. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift that is this weird collection of ancient thought. Thank you for how it has formed humanity um, to value things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. But God, it can be unwieldy and it can be abused. 
And so, God, I pray for um, us all to be able to approach it in a new light and to be able to find you and, and who we are called to be in the midst of its messages. God, thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to us, not just in words, but in the entire, entirety of what we can experience in our lives. We love you, God. Amen.